Blog Talk Radio. I stroll through the pictures What I've left behind You once again I'm locked up in memories They all intertwine The memories living In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know what you have done. Well, good evening. I'd like to welcome you all to the Stop Child Abuse Now show, sponsored by NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Penelope Bennett, and I am from Sarasota, Florida. I'm also an adult survivor of child abuse, and as you know, tonight is Tuesday, February 27th, 2024. This is SCAN number, and SCANs for, excuse me, SCAN stands for Stop Child Abuse Now. This is SCAN number 3,386, and about 30 minutes after tonight's show, this SCAN will be archived and available on our website to uh, listen and to stream um, from now into the future. So please make note um, that this is scan number uh, 3,386. We have a very special type of show tonight. It's our open mic survivor professional night. We have our incredible NASCA family member and co-host, Pastor Deborah Schleich. And I'll tell you a little bit more about Pastor Deborah in a few moments um, before I bring her on. But I first wanted to tell you a little bit more about NASCA uh, and uh, what NASCA is all about because, as you know, our focus is on child abuse trauma prevention, intervention, and recovery. I'd like to share our mission statement. We have a single purpose at NASCA, and it's to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. The first educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo, at discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts, showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. The second goal of offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention and recovery. You can find out more about NASCA and also access our resources provided on our website at www.nasca, which is N-A-A-S-C-A dot O-R-G. So I'd like to tell you a little bit more about tonight's show. As I mentioned, it's a Q&A call and discussion with a survivor professional. We use an open mic forum. We'll feature um, our co-host, 
who will field topics uh, brought to this episode by you, the listener. So please call in and join our panel. The number to do that is area code 646-595-2118. So again, all you need to do is dial the number, area code 646-595-2118. I will meet you on our back line, which is private, and welcome you into the show. And once you um, are uh, um, a panel member on the show, uh, you'll have an opportunity to ask Pastor Deborah, our special guest, a question or a comment regarding the material she's covering with us this evening. So let me tell you a little bit more about Pastor Deborah. She grew up all over the world in a military family where her mother was mentally ill, and now our Pastor Deborah Slice is a survivor professional. She lives in Pensacola, Florida, and she's changed. She's trained in ministry, mental health working with substance abuse, and is a trauma-informed social worker, all of this in one. She volunteers with many community organizations as well. To quote Pastor Deborah, she says, I can minister by text, phone, Skype, in person, and however the Lord directs her 24-7. She teaches that humans have three parts, being of spirit, soul, and the physical body, and believes that all three are important and that each area needs care. And we look forward to Pastor Deborah being an active member of the Nazca family for a very long time. So on these episodes, we welcome various co-hosts and survivor professionals who will assist in fielding questions and lead a variety of topics suggested by our call-in participants. Their trauma-informed perspectives as survivor professionals helps them guide discussions on the issues of child abuse, trauma, and healthy human sexuality that spring from questions and topics brought to us by our listeners. So everyone is invited to engage in tonight's show. Once again, the number is area code 646-595-2118. So Pastor Deborah, I'm going to unmute your mic and to let you know we have a caller who's called in who is just listening and we have a uh, caller, uh, Melanie, who is also um, a NASCA family member who is um, becoming um, a part of our host team. Her name is Melanie. I've unmuted her mic as well. So you've got so, several of us here on the panel. And uh, I have to apologize. I have horrible, horrible allergies. Um, I know you live in Florida, um, Pensacola, Florida. Um, Pastor Deborah, I'm in Sarasota, Florida. And I did not realize that I would be so affected by the allergies here. So I do apologize um, for my raspy voice. But um, I'm going to turn it over to you now and just wish to express um, on behalf of NASCA our appreciation for having you here. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Penelope. Yeah, I'm Pastor Deborah. I've been with NASCA I don't know how many years now. I've written some uh, video blogs, made some for the for them, and some articles, and coming out of being a licensed clinical mental health counselor and nationally certified as one, I have a unique perspective from the mental health counseling world and the spiritual pastoral world. So uh, I'm able to combine a lot of knowledge and education in those two areas uh, as far as 
what the causes of abuse, what happens, how to get healing. And I work with a lot of, as you said, community organizations, uh, done a lot of support groups, done a lot on of personal ministry, as you'd call it, love it. We'd call it counseling, mental health counseling. I've been in a rehab hospital, chaplain in a hospital in the emergency room, uh, sexual abuse uh, response team, work with the military, jails, homeless, pretty much children, teens, adults, you know, just about everything. Been in the jails, working with girls and guys and working in inpatient drug counseling programs. So I have a very broad perspective of helping people. And, um, you know, also from a hospital side. So I just have so much knowledge and education. But what I wanted to talk about tonight was something I've been working on, a podcast I just started on YouTube. Got several uh, things up that also can be on YouTube Music. And it's about the oppressed spirit. Because the topic for tonight is called the darkness of abuse and how light comes in. And what people don't realize what happens with childhood abuse is when the biological body is affected. Uh, Things that would normally grow and develop at the normal rate of maturity suddenly get changed. Chemicals, hormones get turned on, released. Uh, things happen before sort of the mind is ready to understand it. Darkness sets in. Ignorance sets in. Sort of the light goes out. Standing of, you know, what is going on. And in the realm of the spirit part of us, that eternal part, you might recognize it in your dreams or something like that. There's darkness in there that means lack of knowledge, light. uh, Your spirit can actually be asleep a lot of the times. And um, your soul that is supposed to be very active and, uh, you know, reflective, uh, interactive in the world, sometimes it gets into darkness, which it gets into numbness. And a lot of people don't recognize as a child the gift that is given to us to help us is we form multiple personalities. And the core part of us that the little child sort of goes into a trance, a sleep, a darkness. And it takes some love and light coming in slowly inside to our soul and our mind. And most of the time you can't believe it, you know. And the people that are trying sometimes to help you, you know, they you can't trust them. I just had a young guy from over in the Middle East. I'm working with him. And uh, he uh, is of the Islamic religion. And he uh, contacted me because he has a friend that's having surgery. And his question to me was, can I trust you? But he's not asking that of me. He's really asking that of, you know, I don't serve Allah. He does. But he's asking me, the one that I pray to and talk about as a pastor, can he be trusted with, you know, in prayer? So a lot of times I have to read between people's lines, you know, uh, what they're asking. And I have to understand darkness. 
important to have to understand what happened in childhood abuse and understand childhood trauma and how it affects us biologically and understand triggers, had to understand child development, which was one of my classes. I didn't do all that well in, but we had child development in our graduate programs, and how the mental health uh, community looked at child abuse, you know, in both children and adults. And then working in the psychiatric hospitals with it and working with people who have, you know, been abused as children, end up as criminals, and, you know, homelessness. So it is a, a wonderful thing if you can find somebody who has a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, sort of older, that can help you through a, a recovery process, a healing process, and and help you as you go through your life. So I'll open it up to any questions so far from anybody on the panel or that wants to ask a question. Hi, Pastor Deborah. Uh-huh. My name is Mel my name is Melanie and I am also Hi, Melanie. a survivor. Hi. And I'm also a Christian with not as much ministry background as you, but I really, okay. really value your wide and vast experience. Um, right, the, a couple questions came to me as soon as you started talking. One was, I was curious about what you feel with your vast amount of experience has been the most affected for most effective form of therapy for trauma survivors. Okay. If when you use the word therapy, okay, that's the mental health world. What the mental health world teaches people with master's degrees is they are aware of abuse. They know there's chemical problems and things are not very calm on the inside. And they know there's lack of memories. Their training is that if you can recover the memories, and sort of cry through the loss of the childhood and remember what happened and tell your therapist they believe that catharsisism of tears and healing and remembering, it's you are on the step and road to good mental health because you're not anxious or irritable Something's knocking on a door, but now you know what's really happened to you, and maybe you now can face it. Okay. So in mental health, their goal is to get you to remember. Now, I work with psychiatrists very well, and there's their medical, this one, he's uh, passed away now. He did not believe in hypnotizing anybody to get to the deep subconscious memories because he said, if I did and I asked you what happened, he said, I would feel like I am raping you again in your memory, and I won't do that to you. So some people have different philosophies about child abuse. I can tell you there's not a lot of training in mental health work. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
because they mainly go off into anxiety. And let's get mm-hmm. you some medication. Or we'll do some desensitization to whatever you're fearful of. Or mm-hmm. depression, okay, because there's some chemical imbalance. So they find out you've got some sadness, you're depressed, oh, your chemicals are imbalanced, let's get you some medication. Mental health therapy doesn't last very long. If you are um, employed by a company, I used to see some, you get employee assistance. You get three, maybe, or six trips to the therapist that your company pays for. That's it. Okay. If you're with vocational rehabilitation, you've got some kind of physical thing, they'll pay for some to get you so you can go to work. But their main goal, the master's level people and the psychologists, we, I used to give the neuropsychological testing. I gave you the IQ testing. I gave you the brain testing. We're going to find out your depression levels. Are you psychotic? What is going on? By your answers then they're going to refer you to a psychiatrist to get you some medication. Now go back to work, go back to school, have a life. And all of the psychiatrist level really is, are you doing okay on your medication? Are you eating right and stuff? Okay, your chemistry in your brain is balanced out. Now you can be in therapy or if you have some grief issues about this, Mental health counselors, there's not a lot of classes in how to do healing with child abuse victims. And most child abuse people, kids, they, you know, they try to take them to, uh, the abusers to court. Uh, I was a family advocate. I sat in the family law. I, I was the eyes and the ears for a judge. I heard the stories. I saw the parents. I visited the children, you know. It's a mess. And the goal of the state and the family law is to return the children back to the parents. That's pretty much Mm -hmm. about it, and move on. And the Mm caseloads are just so tremendous. The, The powers that be, the state, they don't want to terminate the parental rights. They'll pass the children to auntie, to grandma, to granny, to a cousin in another state. Keep it in the family because that's what's best for the child. And there's play therapy. I did play therapy with children. Let's uh, play and you talk and sort of talk about what happened, okay? And they believe that by you talking, you're getting healing. Well, Mm -hmm. I tried all that. And then I got taken off into helping people still from a different perspective, okay? And the perspective was, first I had to realize that we have three parts. We have a physical body that gets affected by abuse. It is a, it's, a, it's an organ, the skin, nerves, pain or pleasure. We have all kinds of hormones, chemicals in our brains uh, that run the gamut uh, that get triggered, you know, by sounds and, and smells and everything, and you're right back in the memory. I, at a master's level, you do not get any training at multiple personalities, disassociation. You get none of that. 
and very few psychologists deal with that. And you may not even know you have them. Okay, but then I had the, the next level back in about 1995, the spiritual part. I started seeing things, okay, and doing what you would call personal ministry, deliverance type, breaking soul ties, doing uh, understanding things from a spiritual context, ancestors, all kinds of things. And I ran into this so often. I was working in a crisis stabilization unit at Lakeview Center in Pensacola. There was a precious young black guy. And we were talking. I take my board in with the three little gingerbread and, you know, say we're a spirit, we're a soul, and a physical body all in one package. And he was saying that he was there in this crisis stabilization unit because he felt he was uh, under spiritual attack. And I said, what do you mean? He said, my parents and family worship voodoo. I don't want to worship voodoo. I want to worship God. But I feel like I'm being attacked from them because I don't want to do that. Now, what would you do with that in the mental health counseling world? No religions are taught in the mental health counseling world. There is nothing about pastoral care. Most pastors get nothing about child abuse. They don't understand it. They don't, you know, they have no clue. So I was mm-hmm. kind of alone in my studying. I read a lot of true stories, watched a lot of videos, and I had a lot of personal experience with people out of the deep, multi-generational, satanic world. Uh, deep people who were had multiple personal, mentoring candidates, if you want to call them. Uh, people that were into witchcraft, the occult, people that were new age, psychics, people they were doing what you would call astro projection, uh, placing curses on. I was thrown into that world right from the get-go. And there's nothing taught in mental health counseling how to deal with that. So I had to learn fast. I had to study and I had to look and pay attention to people and places and things like that. So how, did that answer your question? Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what I already know about all of that stuff is the ministry world is ill-informed, that the scientific world is narrow-minded and not spiritually informed, like a... I totally hear what you're saying. Um, can I yeah, completely switch uh-huh, lanes right and ask you another question? Sure. Something that has been highlighted for me lately, uh, just very recently, like just yesterday, um, and I, I'm really curious. I'm sure it's common. I feel like this was sort of – I was blindsided by something that seems so obvious. Um, I was in a, a class where they were talking about shame and regret, and I was thinking to myself, oh, I don't have either of those things until they started talking some more. And I had dealt with shame from the actual act of abuse, but I I just sort of unearthed a new kind of shame yesterday um, that I didn't know was there. And maybe what Mm -hmm. I want to hear from you is 
if this is, you know, if you hear this a lot, I, I, I just unearthed this new kind of shame and regret that I, I really feel almost a shame from God. Like, like I'm, I wasn't, I've had so many bad things happen. Like, what did I do that was so wrong? And I know mentally, this is not my theology, but in my heart or in my spirit, I was feeling shame like I must be some sort of outcast or second-class citizen of heaven for God to let so many things like this happen. And like I said in my head, I know I don't think that, but I think I have been carrying shame around like I don't know if I'm even saying this very clearly or not. I feel like I'm carrying You're doing shame good. that You're doing is good. different. Yeah. Okay, thanks. It's different You're from doing the act. With it. Okay. Please this is a shame. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, typically it's children. Believe yeah. it or not, most children, they believe in something. And they feel dirty. Shame makes you feel dirty that you have dishonored yourself in front of other people's eyes. And typically, if you uncovered another shame, it could be another part of yourself. And the enemy, okay, of us, this is the spiritual part, wants us to feel that so we can't feel the love of a wonderful heavenly father. And we're not, uh, we'll say, healed And we live in this darkness, this ignorance of what the truth is. Shame, okay, brings depression. I'm dirty. I'm not worthy. You have all these kind of different, I'm no good. Nobody would love me. You know, what's the use? There is an enemy of humanity that wants us to think that way in our soul and to feel that way and in our spirit also. And how I can relate this is I would run into the multiple personalities. I had this one precious young lady. She's still my spiritual daughter. I adopt everybody. And she was was doing ministry. She lived with me. And she immediately, we were talking, and she runs under the bed. I said, what's going on? She, and a part had come up. She was naked. She was embarrassed, ashamed, because in her world that she grew up in as a child, being naked, being abused sexually, that was a part of their life. And I knew it was a multiple personality part. So I now she had her clothes on, okay? But the part that was up felt naked, ashamed of being seen. So I just reached my hand under the bed and I said, what kind of clothes would you like to wear? She said, some black leather. I said, okay. And I put my empty hand, said, here's the clothes. You put them on and come on out. I had to learn how to minister and understand every emotion, fear, anger, guilt, shame, regret that happened. That's the darkness, and it's piled up on a child. Most of the time, they don't know what to do with it when they're children. But when the acts 
are happening and if it's over and over again, different parts of you will carry the shame, different ages of the child, okay? If it happens, you know, in infancy or something, you'll have a part in that. I had this one lady. We'd be on the phone and I would hear her whimpering. She had brought to me a part of herself that was a little baby covered in blood from the satanic stuff. Held it in my my voice on the phone. Had to carry, hold, speak, love, cleanse, wipe off. Now, what am I doing? I'm doing ministry work to a deep part of her on the telephone, cleaning a part of her that is ugly, you know, nasty. So in mental health work, a lot of therapists are not used to doing it. You've got 50 minutes, and you're taking notes. And you have to take notes so in case you end up in court because you get sued, you've got notes. You're always looking at your clock. And most of them aren't trained. They don't understand. Maybe a part's come up and they're crying. They don't know to look. The system, I had to learn to understand that. So I had to combine the two. There's sometimes I'm on the phone for hours and different parts are coming up. And I have to do ministry. How would you have a... And I had my voice had to carry the healing and bring the light. And so what you would find is all of these, we'll call them uh, abnormal, unhealthy feelings, shame, regret, anger, will come up at different times. They can be connected to different parts of your uh, identity. And something gets remembered, and they come up, and they're just angry at everything. And they give you a piece of your mind, and I have to understand. My ministry work is talking. My voice had to be a gentle light, a gentle voice. And it it had to do it over the phone, in Walmart, in a car. I did most of my, call it personal ministry spiritual stuff, on the phone, in my home, in a car. I didn't have an office, okay? You go into the jail and you're dealing with people in an open system where there's sheriffs and television. I'm having to do ministry there, in the jail system, in a homeless shelter, okay? I had to learn how. I didn't have... Once I stepped out of the mental health world and the hospitals, I didn't have an office anymore. It was 24-7. Sometimes I get calls in the middle of the night. It was and was just by phone. So I had to learn that my voice was what was important and how I addressed that I had to have knowledge of the system. And so what God did for me was it's sort of like a mental health counseling. If you study depression or adults with depression or anxiety or marital problems, you put yourself out, but that is your area of expertise. So the people that come to you have those kind of problems. Well, I knew that 
that's sort of how it worked. And so everybody that was going to come into my purview, into my phone or meet at Walmart or in, in dreams or praying for, we all have some deep spiritual problems paired. I love the Catholic Church. They say believe in doing what we call exorcisms. And I had to study a lot of that, deliverance work. I had to study a lot of things that most pastors don't even believe in. I had to study mental health. So my training was just so different. And so, yes, you can have many times different levels of shame will come up that you don't know about. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. And I I salute you. I mean, the kind of ministry you've been doing and the places you've just made yourself so available to be used by God. And I just, I thank well, okay. you. I, I, it's inspirational. Well, here's how it worked. It's, everybody has a purpose. I started loving when I was a young child and teenager, some of the weirdest people. People in wheelchairs, different skin colors. I was in the South. That just, people go, well, how can you do that? I go, I don't know. I just love them. And I'd give that love out during the day, you know, be friends with them. And, uh, and God would fill me up at night. Didn't understand it. I was brought up in a military family. We were soldiers, disciplined, highly educated. My job was to set captives free around the world. Okay, that's what a soldier does. And to lay down your life, give up everything. I didn't live a normal life. I don't care about sports and entertainment and stuff and all of that. Because a soldier's life is different. So I had that in my background. And I wanted to help people. So psychology at that time was sort of it. You know, I really didn't like social work because they only believed back then in the 70s that if I can change your uh, education, get you a better house, get your medical taken care of, uh, your social things, you'll be healed. Mental health, psychology, psychiatry says so there's something wrong with your brain. Okay, could have had a brain, you know, hit on the head. Could have had some, uh, you know, genetic stuff, okay. Something could have happened to you. And you're having some, your chemistry in your brain, your neurochemistry, I had to study the brain, is off. And if we can get some medicine to it that will balance out the chemicals and we can get you eating right, you know, and get off some of the sugar and the salt and stuff and the alcohol, okay, we can get your brain sort of back to normal where you can think and you will sort of be normal. Okay, so all right. So I had that kind of background, and then I started just, I would be in a church service, and they would be uh, praising and worshiping and everything, and everybody was thanking the Lord and asking for blessings, and all I did was cry because I said, God, you don't have to do anything else for me. I'm on my way. I'll be there when I get there. But there were so many people in the occult and heavy metal rock and roll and witches and crime families. And now it's all those people in El Salvador and there's people who didn't know you. They're on their way the other way. 
and I would cry and cry and cry and cry. I did it all day today. And I'd cry for God to send somebody to help them. And he said, I'm sending you. And I thought, I don't know where they are. What am I supposed to do? Travel the world? Get on an airplane? Who are they? I don't know. He said, I'll teach you. I'll train you. So I went on a fast track. I lost my mental health job. I have no job, no money, no identity, no professional identity, no office, nothing. I even tried to get a job as a Christian counselor because that was the big thing back then. Because people who were Christians wanted to get mental health therapy and they wanted prayer and stuff. Well, there was no prayer, so I tried that in the church. That didn't work because I wasn't going to do that. And once I got, God said, I'll teach you. I joined the prayer team at the church, the deliverance team. I had to read some of the horrible books. I read stories, saw videos, all that stuff. And I just kept to myself, and I knew God was in a hurry. So I would read six to eight books, watch videos and movies. I got very little sleep. And then I guess whenever I was ready, God allowed the people to come in. They came on assignment to kill me. Because when you start caring for people, okay, we'll call them the servants of evil. We'll call them the human traffickers, the child abusers. When you start caring so much for them and praying that God will touch them and change them, earthquakes start happening on the other side. The enemy of humanity gets upset and gets mad. I experienced mm-hmm. it. I have been got up, poisoned from my own home. I had been almost stabbed with scissors in my own home by a girl that I was trying to help. I had almost been kidnapped, all to stop me from loving people, we'll say, in witchcraft, heavy metal music, people that gangs, drug cartels. So I had personal experiences that most people just didn't have. And God had to test me, and he had to try me. See, could I hold? Uh, Could I not flinch? You know, Uh, I had to hear him. Now, I used all my mental health, and I asked God, I said, don't waste that either, okay, over there. Don't waste any of that, because that's good knowledge. Okay, good stuff. And combine them, and that's just what I've been doing since probably 1995. And now I have um, a YouTube channel where I put up all these stories. And uh, this topic was about the oppressed spirit, which I got some inspiration from Dr. Miles Monroe, the Bahamas Faith Ministries, tying in what is an oppressed spirit and an oppressed soul. So I've had to study the train candidates. How do people get like this? What causes somebody to abuse a child? What is going on with parenting? Okay. Is it genetics? I had to help on the helpline for suicide. I've taken guns and machetes off of people in church. I was a very, the soldier in me was never afraid. Okay. And people needed love. But I had to get through some stuff. 
So Bill found me out on LinkedIn, and he asked me, you know, to come and be a guest, sort of. So are there any more questions? I was going to ask you what the name of your YouTube channel is. It's called The Hidden Kingdom. There's almost a thousand videos. I put, there's three or four that go up every week of a YouTube shorts that go up under Pastor Deborah, and I'll get 100 or 200 views on those YouTube shorts. Uh, I have YouTube podcasts and YouTube music and, and LinkedIn, and I, I'm on Twitter. I call it Twitter. I have a website. And what I learned is people got issues, but they need teaching. And a lot of people don't understand once you identify yourself as a victim of child abuse, you can get settled in that victimhood. And that is who you are now. And everything that goes with being a victim, the anger, the shame, the regret, either. Here's what I ask people. Okay, something bad happened to you when you were a, ch- a child. You're not a child anymore. Now, I have a question for you. One, do you want to be healed? And, you know, they go, yeah, I'll go, all right. Then you can never say, because in spiritual work, you get born again. That means the new you never had child abuse. I went through this. You never got, those are not your parents, those are not your family. You were never sexually abused. The new you. And you can never be triggered by that stuff. That's a powerful transformation, healing. But some people get attached to the victim identity. That's all they know. They don't like it. But they now get social security disability. They don't want to give that up. They get a lot of benefits out there from the government. They don't want to give that up. They get a lot of secondary psychological uh, support. That's who they are now, and they're going to give it up. Now, I've been through a powerful, I used to be called Jan, who had a horrible life, and she died. I put her on the ground for two years. Thank you, Deborah. And she, she can use those memories, but that's not her life, the mental health world. But some people don't want to give up. They're too afraid. They're afraid of what would life be. I don't know the rules. Uh, I got to give up my multiple personality system. I have to give up the drugs, the alcohol, the bingo. I have to change my diet, maybe lose weight, become a new person. I can't say that I'm an adult survivor anymore. I can't say I'm a victim if I get healed. I don't have who would I be. So there's identity. But in the healing process, every person who has had child sexual abuse has multiple personalities. They disassociate. They leave their bodies. It's called astral projection. Their spirit leaves. And it left during the abuse time. They form the multiple personalities. They have them. They have a system in there. And and somehow, you know, you'll get some that will kind of go to work, be married, have a family, business, go to church, 
and in the occult world, you would have a light side personality system that could be in the church, be a school teacher, a policeman, a politician, and you'd never know. Then they got a dark side, a whole mess of stuff that you never know was there. And I just didn't talk to anybody because it was too unbelievable, a lot of the stuff. And working with people, I had to know they were checking the light out. They were in darkness. They were checking my voice out. They were checking the God I believed in out. They were checking, can I really be healed? Well, how do I get along with my family? Who will I be? There was a lot of fear, you know, of being healed. And there was a lot of questions, but they wouldn't ask you, but I had to know. And some of them, I had this one guy named Chris, sweet young guy. He was a drummer in a heavy metal music band. And uh, he, I would send him cards into satanic meetings. And he'd get all mad and throw them away. I'd sent teddy bears out to counts in England. Uh, I've worked with, I don't talk to anybody about it. And he was so afraid to let love, that's the healing agent, touch him. Because he had heard about love. He would oh, I love you, and gets in abuse and stuff. And there's all kind of dark love and perverse love, you know, and kind of wicked, evil love. Oh, I love you, honey. Let me beat you up. I love you, you know, domestic violence. Okay. And it took him years before he would even allow, before he could put his guard down and let my voice carry love and he could believe that he was loved because they go, I'm too evil, I'm too wicked, I've done too many bad, evil, wicked things, and there's no hope for me. I had to believe there was a love deeper, and some of them accepted it right away. Some had heard when they were children in the occult that they would find somebody that would love them, and they went looking. I have had, I just put up two stories, one's called Josh and Matthew, young men I worked with. One, Josh, uh, he died early, and so did Matthew. Matthew was coming, was leaving Louisiana to come to Pensacola and find me. Uh, He got shot and killed. And I cried out to God, did we lose him? He goes, no, I got him, because he believed. I had to learn how to deal with death and torture and abuse. I had to trust God that he was working. So I've had, but I don't talk to, I didn't talk to most ministers. You know, most of my life is not spent around other, I don't fit on community Christians, but they don't open up with prayer. They don't believe in the spiritual stuff. They're trapped in the mental health world. I can fit in the mental world. When I was going to go into the um, crisis stabilization unit of Lakewood, uh, Lakeview Center as a chaplain, the Ph.D. psychologist asked me, could I cast out devil? I said, yes, sir, no problem. They want it, but they're afraid of it. But there's some that believe that, you know, they're trapped in a system with medicine and psychiatry. There's a pecking order. Psychiatry comes first, so you have to study Freud, you have to study psychiatry to be a helper. I went to support groups. 
uh, we went to peer-to-peer training. And what peer-to-peer is, it's a comforting. Hey, I, you need some comfort. You need an arm, a sister, a brother to put your arm around you. You're hurting. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not healing. But those that have been abused are not getting that comfort from a mental health counselor or a psychologist. It's cold. It's a cold atmosphere. you got 50 minutes. Please tell me your stuff. Okay, I'll see you in two weeks. If not, you know. So it's the peer-to-peer was more family-oriented. You know, uh, we're all sort of family. We can put our arms around each other. A mental health counselor cannot do that with you. We're going to only have contact with you in the office. We're not there to pick you up, take you around. We're not, we're not there. No, this is different ethical professional, much colder, much more distant. So a lot of people in abuse had to find something, so they started their peer-to-peer. And what actually happened was they were getting wonderful, you know, you support me, I support you, I believe you, I can talk to you, you'll cry with me and things, but that does no healing. Because once the meeting's over with, the system is still there. The memories are still there. You just had some comfort. So I sat in grief support groups and comforting, got peer-to-peer training, okay? What I tend to do and what I was, I become your mama. Because according to spirituality, the anchor of the soul is love. Once the soul and the spirit are anchored in love, that no matter, and I would say, no matter what you've done, what has been done to you, what you do, no matter that much, there's a love that's bigger than you. And I'm bringing it. And I adopt everybody. Will you be my spiritual child? Once that happens, they give me the right to be their mother. And I speak the words that a mother should speak, and I can discipline them. Take some, they're ready, and then the healing deep on the spiritual side can start happening. And how the pattern's supposed to work is the spirit is supposed to get healed first. The spirit is like the husband, the covering. It is to look at the soul, with the biological brain, as its helpmate to its bride and care for it and love it, guide it and teach it. Spirit gets it first. This is what I learned. Forms the soul with that knowledge, that light. Then the soul releases that out in music, in talking, out through the physical body. That's what I had to learn, the pattern. And mental health counseling and stay in the biological body with drugs, you know, with good psychiatric drugs in the biological brain to adjust the chemistry, the neural chemistry. And if you study the brain, you you can study memories and you can study the light and you can study the frontal lobe. They used to do lobotomies. They'd go up your nose and they'd scrape and they'd, so you'd feel nothing. Certain parts, like your eyesight, is in the back of your brain. Certain things are happening. You have to study the five senses. You have to understand how everything works from the five senses going into the brain, how it's 
stored in neurochemical electrical systems, how memories work. So I would read books, and I just just kind of stayed at home a lot. But are there any questions from anybody? I don't know. I see what time it is here. Penelope, you got anything you want to say? Yes. Actually, I do, Pastor Deborah. You had talked um, early on in the show about, um, you said you hadn't been very good at it, but I I don't know if that's actually true. But in terms of child development um, and a child being born um, into a multi-generational um, a family that has you know, multi-generational cycles of abuse, um, so uh-huh. a baby is born into this into this cycle. Um, uh-huh. And in terms of that first three years of zero to three years old and the de- the development, because you mentor- mentioned the stifling of the development um, uh-huh. in children to become healthy, adjusted adults um, that are exposed to you know maltreatment. I'm just curious as to you know what your thoughts are um, in terms of you know, babies born into this um, this type of abuse and, you know, those three components um, of the mind, you know, the body, the spirit, um, uh-huh. and how that has an impact um, on the trajectory um, for these individuals that maybe you've treated some of them. Um, and we talked about healing modalities, but I'm just curious as to, you know, do, do these individuals have um, – is there, a, is there a, a different type of path that they must take when the abuse starts um, within, you know, within infancy? And that is really my question okay. in terms of developmentally. And I hope that makes sense. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Okay. We're, I'm going to take it in, um, into two areas, the mental health, biological. When a baby is conceived, egg and sperm, there's already genetic issues in the sperm and the egg. As we know, some people are born with no legs, no arms, issues. The sperm and the egg have already been affected generationally for some reason. When a baby is conceived and it starts growing in the womb, the baby can hear sounds. It can feel the mother's stress, the anger. If the mother's in domestic violence, they can hear the TV, the radio, the music, the atmosphere. They can feel mama jerk. Abuse starts right there in the womb before the babies even come out. There's no blessings said over the baby. There's no nice music. There's no father saying, I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ or whatever, and I'm waiting for you and you are a blessed. There's none of that in most families. When the child comes out, you don't know what kind of childhood the parents had. You don't know if they got multiple personalities. You don't know. Okay, the baby doesn't know. I've watched babies and infants in Walmart, and they cry, and the mama don't want to deal with them. They give them a bottle. Here, drink. Get some sugar in you. That's how, that's how addicts start. You're upset. You don't want to be in the car. Shut up. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it starts early. Dietary stuff. The brain needs certain things. Loudness of the television, the music, the yelling, the arguing, the tinsel. It's all there in the parenting. 
the parents, grandparents, aunties, brothers, everybody is a part of child development. What they eat, how much sugar they take in, okay? The tone of the voice, the gentleness of the hand, everything in the environment that the five senses, the baby is absorbing sounds, light, it chirps, it can feel sweet voices, and the television's on, and blah, 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 and it can feel the tenseness in the arms. God abuse is happening right there. It can happen right there from the doctors, coming out of the womb. So you're saying that if a child, so if the mother, the mother is expecting, um, Mm -hmm. and of course, you know, the mother has history, and I understand this, the father-to-be has history, um, not histories in the DNA, but if this mother is having an ultrasound, finds out that she's having a boy, and desperately Mm -hmm. wants a girl, right, and cries, Mm -hmm. yeah, and rejects the baby. The baby already knows that. The baby or in utero. That. I'm not wanted. Okay. Yep. Okay. And and that, Sadness, that is in depression. utero. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The baby hears and is sensitive and is one with mama. Okay, so if the parent wants a, a, a boy and they get a girl and they find that out. That baby you already mm-hmm. realize I'm rejected. I am abandoned. I am not wanted. They don't want me. They wanted something else. Mm-hmm. That gets set in, and they come out, and then they are traded, and the baby, and I had to learn this, okay, and I had to mm-hmm. study since I was a Christian, God's view of infants, and mothers, and fathers, and child abuse. It starts in the womb, mm-hmm. Okay. It starts mm-hmm. if you've even if you're a young girl and somebody's prayed over your womb before you even had your period and prays a blessing over the eggs and over the sperm and that children sometimes children only wanted for certain money. I have a child. I get mm-hmm. another hood home. I get more wick. I get more food stamps. Some of them have them to sell them. Mm-hmm. Okay. In some religion, there is no abortion because we're going to use them. We're going to sell them to human traffickers. They've been doing that since way, way back. We need slaves. We need workers. Girls, we're going to sell you off to get married because we need money. Girls are not as good as boys because the law was only the firstborn male can inherit the house, the stuff, the women are nothing but slaves to be sold. No different now. Mm -hmm. You are to serve that man. That's it. And that starts in culture and religion. Okay? Don't blame the human traffickers or the abusers. They are products of religion, culture, genetics, their background. Who came in their childhood? Okay. The traffickers are not the first groomers. The parents are. They're, the, they're grooming that child through abandonment, rejection, child abuse. Child wants to be loved. And it will look 
do anything in anybody that will smile at it and say, I think you're sweet. The enemy knows that goes on, but society does not want to tackle the role and responsibility. That's my child, don't tell me what to do. That's my religion, don't tell me what to do. You can't tell me how to raise my child. I suffered this. My mother had issues with her four sisters, blamed her her mom for killing her dad, brought it into the marriage, was a chain smoker in the house, had mental health issues, brought it into the marriage, into the training of the child. Now, you can also have ancestors who curse children. I had it in my family. Four generations back on my father's side, a lady in Northern Ireland had a sexual relation with a Druid high priest. She wanted to keep this boy, her firstborn. She wasn't married. The Druid priest wanted the child to take it and sacrifice it to the Druid god. She made a deal. You let me keep my this male child. You can have my fourth generation child, firstborn male. That was my brother. They got him. How did it work? We're military. He gets born. My dad takes off on unaccompanied tours, went to Saudi Arabia, Japan, the Philippines, comes back after a year. And my brother had been with his mama for a year, and the stranger comes back. And mama rejects him, abandons him to be with her husband. Now, you know, he was with babysitters. But the little boy, my brother, interpreted as abandonment. This happened over and over and over. We're going to destroy him. He was uh, baptized as a baby, so God was protecting him. But they destroyed him mentally. When I came along four years later, Mama has to take care of me. He feels more abandonment, more rejection. He never liked his dad. Always it was trying to be to Mama, to Mama. And I found out once I got into working with the occult and all this, about this that happened four generations back. Some of our ancestors have dedicated us have made promises to other things and gods in order to have their pleasures at that time. And there's an enemy out there that they'll wait four generations to get us. I had it in my family, so I am well aware of the ancestral curses that can come and how it's played out. So, yes, a child in the womb, even naming a baby after an ancestor, an aunt, an uncle, your mom, can curse a child. A lot of people don't even know what their name means. But it, the word Adrian, you know any people named Adrian? That name means dark lord. No. Hmm. A, lot of, a lot of cultures name their children. And I go to Walmart and I see him. I go, what's your name? And I don't know. They have no clue. Indian, American Indian, which I have in me, also Cherokee, Apache, some bad stuff. 
They would name after the first animal they saw, running bear, white doves, tigers, whatever, you know, because they wanted the spirit of that animal to be in the child. If you study ancient historical Chinese, a lot of emperors and people were named after animals. And they believed in the spirit of the animals, the dragon king, the monkey king. Okay? So people's names open doors of blessings or curses. I had to study all that. So just what you name, the atmosphere that a child in the womb is brought up in. Maybe they were raped and they weren't wanted. Maybe they, uh, you know, the parents don't want them. Okay. Do you know how many, how many street kids have you guys ever worked with up in New York City, the LGBTQ? Some of these kids are so precious, they think very highly. They're trying to find a place to sleep at night. So they'll have what they call survivor sex. I work with the Trevor House up there. And um, what happened is they'll have survivor sex so they can get a place to sleep at nighttime. And they think they did really good because they're caring. They're the only ones caring for themselves because nobody else cares. I've worked with people that lived in tunnels, abandoned buildings in Chicago, runaways. Because they're running away from an abusive family. So it's not just mom and dad. It's aunts, uncles, grandmas. Okay, and I was exposed to this. I had a neighbor in Montgomery who go visit, and he wants your hand to go in his pants. I go, what is going on? My family wasn't like that. So I had the exposure, but I had the mentality in the heart of a soldier, and I wasn't afraid, but I had to study. In child development, they study, you know, language skills, and they study how the brain develops in the different um areas of a child and stuff. So I had to take that. And once I started studying how, you know, people born into this stuff, how does it happen? Now, in hardcore Satanism, once that child is born, they actually kill the child, and then they bring it back to life. So the child starts learning that their normal life activity is to leave their body in astral projection all the time. Go in them, go, go, come and go, wherever they go. And they start doing that. Study mentoring candidates. Now, that's the deep level of abuse, but just a normal, regular, you know, father, uncle, somebody, or even mother. Go study Sybil. Go look at the three faces of Eve with Joanne Woodward about just trauma. Kissing her dead grandmother caused her to have multiple personalities. Sybil, okay, her mother was a Christian, and the whole town knew what Mama was doing to this little girl. Nobody stopped her. You're a schizoid. <clears throat> okay? And so you study. It wasn't easy. It wasn't taught in mental health counseling because that would have been for psychiatrists only. Any questions so far? So, Pastor Deborah, we were talking to you about um, – in the show about just the the hope and the, the ray of light that comes through healing. And I'm hoping that um, you can talk a little bit more about that. And uh, I'm also curious how forgiveness, now 
NASCA is about resources, so, you know, it, it's not about um, preaching the right way to uh, go through the journey of recovery. So there's no, uh, this is my question about um, forgiveness as a healing modality. Um, this is okay. in my opinion. Um, in my opinion, is forgiveness is healing. But I'm curious as to what yours is. And, again, this is not a reflection on um, the, you know, NASA doesn't take a stance on these types of things. Um, so okay. I make that stipulation. But, um, but okay. I'm curious as to what your, what your opinion okay. is. Forgiveness is, is most important. One, the person has to forgive the abuser. Because if you don't, you drag that abuser with you your whole life. You're bound up in chains. And you can't, and until you forgive them and let them go, you're dragging them around with you and the memories and the hope your whole life. Now, then after that happens, you have to learn to forgive yourself because society and your parents have said it's your fault. You were too pretty. You were too cute. You shouldn't have been there. You should have spoke up. So you blame yourself because you don't want to blame your mom or dad or family. And the only other person is yourself. So you have to learn. You have to be taught. And this is part of, we call it ministry or teaching, is what is forgiveness, okay? And applying it not only to the abuser or to those who knew but didn't do anything. Because what you're basically doing is freeing yourself from the bondage of that torment. You want them to come and say, please forgive me, I'm so sorry, it ain't going to happen, a lot of them are dead and gone. And you're still dragging them around with you in your thoughts and mind. Still angry about it. So you have to forgive, then the anger subsides, healing can come, then you have to be able to forgive yourself for not being able, say, to protect yourself and all kinds of things. So it's two levels. and But you can't forgive yourself so you forgive the other people. Now, what does forgiveness mean? It means I don't blame you for what happened. Yeah, something bad happened. Mm-hmm. Maybe you were abused as a child yourself. And it was one of your multiple personalities. Maybe you were threatened and you had no choice. Maybe you were living, you know, more as an evil, wicked person. Maybe that's how you were brought up. And their culture and your religion says it's okay to do that. And a lot of culture and religion says it's okay to do that. In Islam, it is okay for a 50-year-old man to marry a 10-year-old girl. You don't come in from the front side. You come in from the back side till she hits puberty because the mother needs food, money for the boys to go to school because they're more important. So they'll sell the 10-year-old to somebody else. That's culture. How do you forgive if you're that little girl? How do you forgive that man, your mother, culture, the religious leaders? And it's a big, takes a lot of work. A lot of tears, a lot of guiding the person through each and one of the people that the child or, say, the adult now feels has abandoned them, rejected them, lied to them, abused them, abandoned them. 
okay, didn't care about them, cared more about money, cared more about big brother, cared more about, you know, having some uh, selling me out, okay? There has to be, for the person who's been abused, they have to cut those chains. They have to say, I forgive everyone. Then they have to turn and they need some help doing this. And and a lot of times in mental health counseling, you may have the person say, I forgive myself out loud and hug yourself, you know, that kind of thing. And it's a, sort of an imagery and acting out that has to occur. doesn't mean that the person really does it, but what you're doing is you're cutting yourself off from that sort of baggage. You're letting it go. You're moving on. You may say it, but then something, you know, has to happen on the inside. And sometimes it takes a while. And so a, a therapist can help you with the forgiveness. We know that that is vital for your mental health and balancing out is to let go of that. That means you let go of the anger, the, the unforgiveness. You let go of everything. Doesn't mean that they were right or that you take them to court. It means you forgive them. It's over with. You you don't know what you did, but you may have. But I don't blame you anymore. And you forgive yourself. Then really, true healing can start happening and rebuilding restoration of a new you that's not hung up with, bound up with unforgiveness, hate, and anger starts growing and developing on the inside of you. And when you do the forgiveness work, a lot of the chemical neurons that are popping in your head sort of get weaker and weaker. And when you see that person's face or hear the name, you have no reaction to them because they're really you can look at them and go, I really don't know who you are. You've done nothing to me because you've totally forgiven them as if it never happened. And then with yourself, because most people need to forgive themselves. And then it would be the role of the therapist or the teacher or whoever to help you rebuild a new you who is one that's not a victim, that is not always angry at what happened, doesn't always blame them and the situations, but has to learn how to deal with life. And I have days that I'm depressed. I have days that I'm angry. We swing, you know, some things just don't go your way. And you have to learn how to deal with life like everybody else. The, the memories can get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker, and you can. And once they get, they can get so weak. It's like uh, you continuum pouring water on ink. It gets lighter and lighter and lighter, and eventually it just isn't going to be there. And if you recognize and accept that you have multiple personalities, you may have to work through many different ones. And they all may have to forgive. And some of them are children. They don't even talk. Some of them are babies. Some are boys. Some are grown. Some are... But they all need to go through the process 
of forgiving. Some may just say, nothing ever happened to me. You know, it didn't happen to me. And have an attitude and not be able to get rid of the anger that's connected to the unforgiveness. And once you start dealing with the unforgiveness, the anger dissipates, the memory gets weaker, and you realize you're not going to control me. The memories, the act, that person, that smell, it's not going to control me anymore. I have to get over this. I have to forget it. And what happens is it takes time. It takes the skilled therapist, and it takes, you know, you can get healing through prayer. You can get healing uh, from this through mental health work reading somebody's true story, you know, just reading uh, wonderful books, maybe through music. But that is where most therapists are going to try to take you. And then slowly you have to figure out who am I now that I'm not a victim anymore and I've let go of all that unforgiveness, that hate, that anger. I don't get triggered anymore. Who am I? Okay, and that's some more uh, education has to come on because you're trying to re-identify yourself, okay, that you're not a victim anymore. I'm healed. And so you have to get to that point that you really want that so then you can be able to tell your story but that you won't cry. You will use your story to give other people hope they can get where you are and that all these issues they're having can be dealt with, can be healed, and you don't have to stay as a victim anymore. There's hope. There's a new life. There's a life without anger, resentment, unforgiveness, hate. There's a new life there. And sometimes in the three faces of Eve, Joanne Woodward played a lady, and how she got healed, one, she wanted it. She gave up her daughter to her parents. She stayed in a town near her psychiatrist in the hospital because she wanted to be healed. She knew she couldn't care for her child in the condition she was in. And then she met a man, and she finally told him she had these issues. She said, that's okay. I love you, and we will get through this together. That is what she needed. A support, not her psychiatrist, her husband she had, she had to divorce him. She had no girlfriends. It wasn't her daughter. It was this man's love that she could let go of the other two parts, and Jane came up. And so she could get her daughter back. Read another true story about a psychiatrist helping a lady who had severe child abuse. And she came in, her insurance went out, and he said, that's okay. You're a human being that has issues. You keep coming. She wanted to be healed. He was helping her without charging her any insurance, any money. And and she started getting some healing, and the, many of the multiple personalities and the stuff started just leaving. And I asked God, and I said, what's going on? He said, hey, that's psychiatrist." generally loved that lady as a human being. 
And in that atmosphere of love, I will work. I'll get the glory for the healing because love is the anchor and the relationship between these two people. I said, okay, because they never prayed a prayer, never read scripture. Love was the answer. So when you have some loving people in your life, whether it's a friend, a daughter, a son, a grandma, healing can occur. All right, I got 821. I don't know if anybody needs to make any comments or we need to get ready to close out the show or what, Ms. Penelope? Well, I just want I just want to thank you for that um, explanation of the the process of forgiveness because um, I, that was fantastic. So thank you very much. And I think um, our um, Melanie Le- uh, had to exit the show, so I think with the time to wrap it up. So thank you, Pastor Deborah. I'll let, I'll let you have some final remarks if you wish. One of the main things Master's always been good at is advocacy for those who have been in many different levels in the community and providing support, encouragement to the adults and that there's hope. And that's one of the two. You can't be a true advocate until you get a lot of feeling under the belt. When you uh, are getting healing, you might go to many different people, find it many different sources, many different ways. You could just stay at home and God do the work and you never saw a therapist. You might change your diet. You might just have a prayer, a thought, watch a movie, read a book, okay? And you're getting healed all along and you don't even know it. Other people will choose mental health peer-to-peer at other kinds of healing and it will work. But the goal is to always be on the road to healing. You may not like the therapist, go find another one. You may not like that peer support group, go find another one. You may have to read more books, go read more books, watch more movies, go to more conferences, uh, have more quiet time, read more books, read the Bible, read other books. Okay? Continue working. Even healing a broken bone takes time. Getting over sicknesses takes time. So you have to be willing to put the time in. You've got to be willing to want the healing, to give up that victimhood, to be an advocate. And then you can say, I'm working to be an advocate. And when I get there, I can still tell my story, but it won't affect me. And I will give hope and encouragement to those people who are just getting into NASCAR that you too can get healed and you can become an advocate. But you got to work. you got to stay steady with your healing. Some of them will be short. Some of them will be long. Some of them will be over many years. Some of them will be fast. And then you can get out there in the community and start advocating. You can tell your story, but you're not that emotional because you're always telling it from a distance that you're healed. But you're telling other people there's hope. Okay, something bad happened. What is the fault? Been there, done that. And there's hope. And I'll walk with you. And there's hope. And there's people here. And we're all on our healing journey. Some of us are farther down the road, you know, than you are, but we'll we'll walk with you. So I got eight twenty four and you can close this out and I'll see you or whoever next month. Oh, thank you so much, Pastor Deborah. 
We look forward to having now, you, you last month. Me. Penelope, if you need me during the month, you just give me a call or email me. I'll be glad to come on. That's no problem. Oh, thank you, you so much. Close us out. Okay, well, thank you, and thank you for your accessibility. We At NASCA, we, we certainly appreciate it, um, and we value you. So um, on behalf of, of all of us here, um, thank you, Pastor Deborah. And for all of you listening, again, this is scan number 3386, um, February 28th, Tuesday, February 28th. This is Dr., uh, excuse me, Pastor Deborah Schleich, and we um, thank you for coming on. So this show will be archived and available to listen and stream in about 30 minutes. Um, if you have um, other um, questions uh, about NASCA and want to know what NASCA is all about, visit our website, www.nasca, which is N-A-A-S-C-A.org. It has been built for adults, survivors of child abuse, to provide resources to help you in your healing journey, no matter where you are, if you're at the very beginning, at the inception, or anywhere along the way. So there's a lot of information on our website. We um, encourage you to uh, take a look um, and uh, come on, on to our shows and participate as a panel member um, if you wish to contribute and give back. So we were on five nights a week, um, Monday, uh, well, typically five nights a week. Um, check the schedule on NASCA. Um, right now you can catch us Tuesday through Thursday from 8 to 9.30 Eastern Standard Time. Um, and as I always say as I close out the show, there are enough adult eyes and ears on this planet to keep every single one of our children safe. So if you see something, if you hear something, please Say something, do something. It's our moral responsibility as adults to do so. So thank you very much and good night. Love Talk Radio.